Welcome to an abundant future. I'm Matt Powers, your host. Today we're talking to Monica Ibacache of Beyond Organic Designs in New York City. She works at a charter school and has worked in several different public schools in New York City, in many different boroughs, with lots of different demographics on permaculture and beyond organic design is the name she's using to get her in there to you know to get past the explanations to start the questions and to get things moving so she's teaching design thinking which is often something that people do not know how to teach and it is something that has been highlighted as something we have to teach and start teaching as teachers in recent years and people have uh, been frozen like a deer in headlights. They don't know what to do. It's worse than Common Core. It's it's much harder. I mean, they've got Common Core, you know, textbooks with stuff in the back that they can just refer to. That's what these teachers are doing because they don't know how to teach that stuff. Instead, design thinking requires higher level cognition. And because that higher level cognition uh only occurs masterfully when you have a you know really good grasp of the principles the basics the patterns that that, that create and generate new applications new synthesis uh, and, and the ability to critique right and to um, reapply these these skills don't come into play in schools and haven't been in schools for so long unless a teacher who's very special or a program that's very special brings it. So we're at a critical stage right now where people like Monica and her program Beyond Organic Designs and like my programs, my uh, education program for K through 12, as well as many others that are mentioned in this podcast. Well, all right. So without any further ado, let's dive in. team we're talking about we really should strive to fill in each other's blanks and not have it be an opportunity to be like oh you're deficient in this area <laughs> you know <laughs> it's an opportunity no, definitely yeah yeah right the complimentary part right right and you know we're not really taught that in schools we're like oh this is your problem and we either show everyone in the class that you have this problem and shame you or we privately shame you with grades. You know what I mean? So it's like you're not really taught to be this nurturing, you know, you're not taught often to look beyond. And that's what's so exciting about just the name of your organization, Beyond Organic Design, because there's this invitation implicit that there is a beyond. There is, you know, there's something beyond this moment, beyond this lesson, beyond, there's more to this going, going on. And you know, most kids don't ever have that conversation. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. Um, the name came from a conversation with a friend when I was trying to explain what permaculture was. And I said, it's beyond organic. She's like, is it organic? I'm like, it's beyond organic. Yeah. And she's like, beyond organic, because organic is the 
if we want to say in mainstream society would be the edge of what we can expect from agriculture and food production and um, and permaculture is just several steps past that right and um, it's an exciting way for me to be able to and with the kids too because for them depending on where they're coming from they're not going to have heard they might have heard the term organic but they might not really know a lot about that what that what that even means and and of course that's going to depend on the age group so we work with pre-k through 12 in fact i just um signed on to partner with a community organization we'll be doing pre-k summer camp for two hours every friday that's incredible and we'll be working with the little ones and um and that's a fun kind of a thing too, because how do you explain beyond organic to little ones? Right. Um, well, what does it mean? Not- what are the? I mean, it means all connotation at that point rather than <laughs> meaning, right? And so for them, like organic is a prestige thing, perhaps. Mm-hmm. And and so they're like beyond prestige, and you're like there. You're there for them. You're there as an invitation for them, mm-hmm. as in this empowerment beyond. You know. So there's all these flipping uh, people like, oh, man, organic is this whole thing where it cuts people out. But then it's like, well, it's beyond that. And it's for you children. And they're like, wait, what? What? You know what I mean? It opens up this whole conversation and tipping rebalance, really rebalancing. Right. It's not an imbalance. It's a rebalance. Um, And it it introduces this idea that um, life is a lot more fluid right off the bat with these kids so let's talk about these kids because <laughs> it's specific right so we're in new york city we're in public schools we are in areas of of economic need are we in areas uh, where are we um well i work with a lot of different schools so uh, one of the schools that we work with is in Spanish Harlem. Mm-hmm. And it, it's a public school, and I don't know if, how aware you were of how children go to the school that they go to in New York City, but you have a wide range of smaller, more specialized schools, like the one that I work at. You have to apply. There's a wait list, this and that, but it's not a charter school. It's a public school, and it's a school that's based on project-based learning. Yeah. It's a very special school, and they have an excellent reputation, and they are renowned for what they do, and that they are a different type of, um, the children are receiving a different type of education, um, one that you might be more likely to see probably in smaller uh, schools, maybe private schools, depending on this, the kind. That sounds school, like my maybe. school. That sounds like the one I worked at. And mine, mine wasn't an area that, you know, probably as comparable income earnings per capita per area per cost of living, you know, maybe maybe a little bit poorer. I don't know. But um, but we, we have very oh, similar. I was in Madera County. Me, what? Remind me, was this when you were living in um, in the rural part? Yeah, in, in Madera and Central Valley. So we were doing yeah. project based okay. learning at a charter school. Uh, mm-hmm. It was really interesting area. There was no Spanish speaking like like English language learners, which is what we're all trained to learn to work with. We instead had uh, Native Americans. And actually, wow. I've never met any any school 
in California that actually didn't have English language learners other than ours. So it was very surprising. Oh yeah, it was very surprising, very interesting. And I actually, when I did my BITSA, which is a, a two-year program that you know you think you're free and you get your credential, but no, 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 you get this other thing. Um, and so I, I, I didn't have the English language learner thing, and then everyone like was like, yeah, we'll just make up some case study, and I was like, really? And and then all the people all along the way, and it was like, wow, this is lame. If this is how you guys really do things, when things break down and don't fit your mold, so. Um, that was a disappointment, but usually, yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, so we had very similar experiences with the with the with the project based learning, Um, and I've also worked at schools where there's an enormous amount of privilege, and then I've worked at schools as a sub where there's um, a really amount immense amount of need, and these pilot programs that that your organization really is starting because. I mean, we're gonna get competition. I, I, I'm the first to do this these book series, but you know, that's just the beginning of the whole series of these book series created by other people. So we're gonna see these models that we're creating go out. Uh, so you're at you're at this school. You're, we're gonna see these models be copied by by others in the marketplace. <laughs> I hope so. It's yeah. a very big country. We got about 300 million people. So I hope so. And I think that this public school is a very special place. There are other, New York City is really big, as you know, from having lived here. So you can have a lot of, you can have a lot of different kinds of public schools that maybe in places like where I grew up and um, in the Southeast, I grew up in the Bible Belt, where, where places like that, where it's just a lot less uh, population, don't have as much diversity. And also New York Center. City is also an intellectual hub in the way that there's a lot of innovation and there's a lot of, you know, very wonderful education schools here. Bank Street, you know, City College, lots of great education. Hunter, they're doing wonderful work and um, NYU. So they're also producing great teachers, which is fantastic. So um, my work at CP2, where I'm working currently, and also this other charter school that I work at in Queens and Jackson Heights, both of them are what they call Title I. So that means 30% of the school at least is eligible for free lunch. And um, the demographic of the school is very diverse, as is want to be in New York City. Right. um, Because I I knew plenty of people who went to special schools because early on they showed talent in music or acting and... Oh, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah. Well, you know that they have those hyper-specialized programs as well. Mm-hmm. So, um, what I'm learning with both of the schools that I work at that are project-based learning is that um, they are adept at meeting the needs of differentiated learners, which is a natural fit for what I believe to be permaculture education, which is unless you're, if you're working with children, you're aware that you're going to need to teach in a variety of different ways because all of us are a complex, you know, conglomeration of audio, visual, kinesthetic learners, all these different things that people can be according. Is it John Gardner? Is that his name? I believe it was That's- Howard um, Gardner. And it was, How- yeah, the nine, the nine multiple theory of multiple intelligences. Yeah, that's where that's what we're talking about early, complementary. 
complimentary uh, relationships. You filled that in for me. Thank you. And um, yeah, I haven't looked at his stuff in a little bit, but yeah, I, I, I love that. And that's part of how we got there, right? So Beyond Organic Design is um, our nonprofit that I founded about five years ago. And we've been working with a variety of different schools and slowly kind of creating our, uh, as you how it works, developing our niche and um, learning how to differentiate and talk about what we do. And we design programming that addresses the needs of multiple different learning styles. And we make it hands-on, experiential, project-based learning, student-centered, all these different things that allow us to engage with the children in a way that they're probably not used to. Uh, and, and I mean, again, we're an elective, right? We're an enrichment program. Um, but I do, I do want to say that um, my my teacher, my co-teacher, was able to teach permaculture through um, literacy. She was teaching sustainable ag through literacy in high schools in New York. And um, so there are ways for students, to, teachers, to integrate it. And I look forward to seeing more and more public school and teachers from all backgrounds. Uh, taking PDCs and becoming more acquainted and being able to, not just through PDCs, but being able to integrate this kind of style. And I think that what's interesting for me as I've learned, because I'm teaching permaculture, I'm, I'm doing it from PK all the way to 12th. So I'm coming across a lot of different kinds of teachers and seeing that, and you know this, you have small children. When children are in school and they're younger, they tend to have a more kind of like whole holistic education, meaning that it's all blended. All the subjects are kind of sort of blended together. That it's all connected. It can be like that. Um, but then as we, you know, as we get older, it becomes more siloed. So what I'm finding for us that we're having a natural match with STEM and um, STEM-based programming, and we're, we're getting ins with the science teachers, and, um, and more progressive uh, liberal arts teachers too are reaching out to us. I think that they're seeing that interdisciplinary is the way, right? And that um, I'm seeing this also in colleges too, where I recently was on a panel at City College uh, of New York and when I was in my conversation with the architecture's teacher, she was saying that what she really appreciated about permaculture was it was so interdisciplinary that she could bring in so many things. And when you're teaching something like architecture, I mean, it's a building on soil and outside. (laughs) You can't go with going to interact with people in the environment. That's pretty interdisciplinary. What you're doing, like your awareness, the level of knowledge you need to have is wide. And um, when someone asked me at that, they said, well, what's your motivation? My motivation is if children are going to inherit the earth, then are they ready? I don't think so. But I think people like you, people like my friends at Institute of Permaculture Education for Children, um, at Children's Permaculture Guild, there's a lot of us doing really good work in this realm because we we are trying to get them ready, right? And um, trying to give them a little more knowledge, more skills. And, um, and I feel like for me, it's also just about giving good news. There are solutions. When I took my PDC, I was so excited. There were solutions. There was, like, I didn't have to be depressed. Mm-hmm. 
like there was so many things. Do you remember that? Oh like, yeah, oh yeah. Gosh of like hope and excitement, and you're like, wow, yeah, it's gonna be okay. Somehow, I like I'm a very positive person. I don't want to pretend like we're not dealing with a lot of what we're dealing with in the world, but I also choose to live my life in a way that says I'm doing good things on a daily basis, and I'm trying to stay positive and um, and just keep going forward. Otherwise, it can be very paralyzing. And I don't see what, and I feel like children are dealing with the same things. They're hearing the same news. They're hearing the same conversations at home. And being able to uh, give them the problem as a solution, being able to give that concept, being able to, to, to be able to say the ways that we are going to change the world will relies within us and our communities and how we step up to these challenges and what are the steps, what are this, how do we need to do this? And you know, when you live in a giant mega city like we do, the steps are many, the barriers are many. It's not just a town hall. The levels of bureaucracies run deep. But we've also, history has always so shown us that a lot of solutions, a lot of changes come out of cities. And um, it can happen. So that's been interesting for me too, doing like the civic-minded aspect of it uh, and saying, okay, so let's find out. Um, when we were studying water and we were looking at the problem with water in New York City, um, when it rains here, only half an inch of rain will be enough to flood some of the subway tunnels. That's it. Uh, Half an inch of rain. Just I know. <laughs> Do you remember that? Uh, of course I remember that. It was nasty. It was nasty. So because we have a combined sewage overflow system, all the water floods, all the rainwater goes into our Long sewage, Island Sound. And yeah, and then it opens up into the rivers, right? So as the kids are learning about that, they're like, well, what can we do? And I said, that's a really good question. What can we do? And we would talk about different kinds of possible, there's only so much we can do. We can't go out there, pull up the concrete. But there are some things that we are working on. And um, one is um, working on the tree pits. In New York City, what open soil do you have? We're so we're so full of concrete that tree pits are one of the few things that we have that's like open soil. That's crazy, I'm sure, to anyone outside of New York or like the, some places in the Northeast Corridor. And um, so we started loving up the soil. We started planting some natives. We started mulching the soil and um, adding compost and trying to work with it. We've been monitoring it by uh, taking samples, uh, looking at it under microscopes. And that's been really fascinating because this is something they walk by every day and they hadn't even thought about it. Um, actually, it was Elaine Ingham when I met her probably like, I don't remember, seven years ago. Um, when she was working with my friend Gail, she would come to New York and I would hang out with them sometimes. And she was one of the people that was really encouraging me to do this work and to work with the public schools and to do it in this way, right? She was like going through this science angle, going through um, simple yeah. things, like having, having the kids like work on the tree pits right outside of the school. And, um, and, it, it, and it works, it's a very simple thing, but it works because it gets them also civic minded, right? Start thinking about 
how are their local parks being run and kids are amazing as you know they're so enthusiastic they really want to do stuff and um and that's fun and can be a little bit of a challenge and only in that trying to cut through enough of the red tape to be able to do more right making partnerships with local parks loving up the soil there and um and um, going through just a lot of we're in, we're we're in a litigious society, so it's always interesting to me how much how much resistance I can come up against when I'm trying to find hands-on activities for my students. To you do. mean there'll be a chicken there, a real live chicken? I know. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, they get crazy. I know, I know. So they wait, get really nutty. so all right. So I have thought long about this water issue in New York City. So oh, yeah. you're aware that at certain points the street level is ten stories higher than dirt, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're also probably aware, and our listeners aren't. So I'm just saying this maybe for them, uh, but. The last time we had that real crazy flooding event over there where we had to rescue people, the water got contaminated and it was revealed that no one really knows. They know where it comes in, they know where it comes out, but they're not quite sure all the different areas where it goes to and how the path of water travels because it's been a group of people created this and then the group of people, and then it's in layers and layers and layers and fixes here and that and all the, the records have been lost over and over and over. And we literally have history below our feet in New York City. Um, I haven't been there in a while, but it's still my, like when I think of the city, which is my city, it's New York. <laughs> and no, so, right, it's the city. Um, so. But like, if you look at it, um, it, it really is a seriously crazy situation with the water. And yeah. so what needs to happen is it needs to be preemptive. The water that hits the buildings, because mm-hmm. I mean, that's what you can control. We can put things on top of buildings, we can make planters, we can raise the concrete up and add dirt in because we're constantly creating waste. But mm-hmm. it's that it's, it's the it's the history it's the reality that we just simply built upon old stuff constantly building upon building it's the history of new york city um yeah yeah no no totally totally so it makes for you i mean you're you're hitting on a lot of really good points about the history of it and it makes for really interesting conversations especially with my high school students there would be ones that i would be having these conversations with where we're talking about you know what is our situation like how do we find solutions for this and and it's and it's big i have um one of my students is actually um leaving new york her mother got a job in north carolina and one of the things we talked about was you know that we talked about water here but we also talked about how just different climates right and she she'll be in north carolina we'll actually going to be skyping i'm going to be coaching her because her house has a yard something that's just not not really available here and um, we're going to be working on a design for her yard, and I look forward to that. Uh, she's really into it, and she's really excited about it. And um, and then and, and it's that point, it's like finding that point where children get excited and being able to follow it, right? So with our high school class, we did a lot of work as far as um, 
learning design and learning the gardening skills and being able to do a design for the summer program. So they actually have real life designs to put into place and, um, and, and the gardening skills, et cetera. And then um, what I'm excited about currently is that the summer, we have our summer program and the summer program is a seven week program and it's a mix of art, culinary, design, gardening time, skills, and um, reading and writing. So it's a STEAM program. And um, we got a grant from the Department of Youth and Child Development. And we it was a STEM grant. And we just said, we're doing STEAM. And, and we got it. And it's up to be renewed for up to three years. What wow. I really was heartened by this, and I've encouraged many people who have reached out to me about how do I do something like this? And I say, I think STEM is a really good entrance point for us. Because we're also, in my summer program, we also are doing building. If you look on our website, you can see the blog from last summer. And you just see that we're building trellises. We built tree houses. And the kids don't oftentimes get a chance to build anything. We don't have shop anymore, at least not in New York. And um, just that's not something that's taught. And I think that to constantly be being barraged by information all the time and having to listen it's 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 a really uh, nice break to be able to do something um, more hands on, which you know you do this, and um, and the parents are responding and telling us that they really like it. We've gotten some great feedback from them and the administrators as well. And I think that I love the idea of children being taught whole systems thinking. Yeah. No. Absolutely. I mean. I- Huge. Absolutely. It changes the way you see the world. Absolutely. Right. And I think that's really, really important. And um, when, oops, oh my God, the computer almost fell over. Sorry. Um, But when I started with with uh, Beyond Organic Design, I'm, I call myself a self-taught educator, even though I did do a permaculture teacher training. It's been a very interesting path for me to learn um, some of the background and skills for this. So I would say for anyone who does not have this kind of backgrounds for teaching, programs like yours, Matt, that you're doing right now in San Diego, um, any program uh, where people are specifically helping you learn how to explain the concepts of permaculture children is invaluable. It'll save you time. Invest. Do it. <laughs> if you think you if you think you want to do this work, if you think you want to um, bring this to that level, don't underestimate how how uh, uh, challenging it can be to break down the material and get it down to kind of like bare essentials and and digestible pieces for children. And, you know, I don't know, you probably say that for anybody. How easy has it been for you, Matt, to explain permaculture to people? Well, I don't feel like I, I I spend all day long answering questions with families. And so Mm -hmm. I'm really comfortable explaining things to children. Um, I'm really comfortable explaining things to adults all the way through graduate PhD level. So, and, but that's come from talking about when you started, of course you're okay now. 
Yeah, so when I started, I just knew that if I could keep them entertained and keep, like, Mm -hmm. trying different combinations, um, I'd eventually crack their lock. So I brought a guitar with me to every classroom. And (laughs) I just literally, and it was so funny because it it had no relevance, you know, it was English. And so, yeah, I would just sort of use, that was my, my sugar, I guess, because uh, I couldn't, I didn't use candy in my class. So I would like be like, oh, I'll play bass with my son at the end. And we had a drum kit in the classroom. So yeah, yeah, no, now I feel comfortable. But you know, at first, um, you know, just to even scale it back all the way to the first time, because being a parent and being a teacher are the same thing in a way. Um, mm-hmm. if you if you take it seriously um, what happens is you really have to um, reevaluate everything um, so when you become the reason oh man so you want to reach out to mentors when you're first parent you want to read all these books you want to study all these videos um, and it's the same thing uh, with anything really um, especially with teaching uh, because it's so challenging and you have so much pressure put on you because they're essentially your children for that hour or that day. And if you're a kindergartner teacher, you must feel that heat like crazy because you are their linchpin in progress. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. so, so, yeah, I would say that uh, when you start off, you just go out and seek, you know, if you're really serious about it. Some people, you know, jokingly say they do it for the vacation and everything and uh if that's what they say they weren't paying very close attention (laughs) it was like vacation wow yeah i know there's no vacation what are you talking about (laughs) yeah and also encouraging people to in my like you know wider mission of getting permaculture out to a broader audience i've also been encouraging environmental educators to do it a lot of the non-traditional educators to learn more about permaculture and try to bring it into their work because not everybody's going to be a public school teacher. I'm not a public school teacher. It's rough. Right. I'm an enrichment teacher. The work that I do doesn't quote get graded. There's no big standardized test. So I, I, it's, it, it, we come in kind of like through this side door. Yeah. Yeah. I was the English, I was head of the English department and I drew a lot of heat cause I never used homework. Yeah, right. So you were actually in a school system, right, in that way. Right, and, uh, and the board did not like that, and I had the highest scores in the county without homework. Um, but, yeah, it got it, it, was, it was uncomfortable. I mean, it really is uncomfortable the way they do things. Uh, they banned my son because he was there on uh, a standardized test day that was testing 10th graders on 7th grade standards. And he wasn't doing anything. He was sitting there listening to an audio book. So they just said it was inappropriate. So, but you know, that's how they'll lean on you. They'll pick a pressure point and hit it. Um, so it's hard. I mean, I feel for everyone in there. And when I get back in those school systems, like for a minute and breathe that air, it just takes like five to 10 minutes for someone to start like, saying stuff and you're like oh I remember that I don't want to be part of the drama or the gossip you know 
So it is, yeah. it is hard. And that's why you see these lone teachers. People are like, wow, this teacher's amazing. Why isn't the whole school amazing? You know, it's because that teacher doesn't go and eat lunch with the other teachers and listen to them complain, doesn't participate in that. Maybe they only have the kids join them at lunch. Maybe they go do lunch alone. And they're like meditating the whole time to get through it and be super on point and present with the kids. But I mean, what? No, I mean, it, it's, it's a big one. It's a really big one. And I think that, um, and I, I mean, I've said this to you before. I really love seeing all the things that you do and the way that you are bringing this out to a wider audience. And, um, and I think it's important. I think it's really important. I, Thank you. I think that, um, that you're doing your teacher trainings and then my friends also at IPAC do their once a year training in Oregon for how to teach children permaculture. And I, you know, it's not intuitive to everyone and it's okay to, to need guidance. It's okay to need coaching. So if people are hesitant about embarking in this realm, I, I really want to encourage them to do, do it and to reach out to the people who are doing it. Um, and there's some great books. Like I really love the outdoor classroom book, book written by the two women from Australia. Uh, there's your book for, uh, depending on the audience with all of these, right? Like in New York outdoor classroom, we don't have an outdoors. <laughs> How do we do that? So you obviously you have to. That's a big conversation. So let, yeah. do, uh, all right. So two things. I want to dive into that conversation right now, because that is something we're having right now in San Diego. Uh, and it's easier for us, but it, it is the same exact issue for urban. And we're not, we're not talking about the suburbs where they got a lawn. We're talking about urban. So I want to dive into that. But first, don't you ha aren't you making your curriculum, uh, your lesson plans uh, available? Because I'm sure, I'm sure, you know, if you made those available, um, I'm trying to keep mine like super reasonable. I think it's like $20 for the digital for like all... Um, all uh yeah all a four-week curriculum with 20 lesson plans so it's like a dollar a lesson plan you know um i i, I don't know what you know what what we'll settle on maybe i'll make that cheaper but um but are you guys planning on doing that i really wanted to make this database with the international schools and make a uh, international baccalaureate um database around permaculture so that everyone could have it open source right yeah no i worked for an i worked as an administrator and at an ib school so I'm, I'm familiar for sure um we don't have available now uh there is plans to make it available at some point and um we do a lot more enrichment so for us it's like you're you know four weeks yeah what we're doing is once a week twice a week so ours would look a little bit different than yours. And it's for, we have our high school program, internship program, and then we have an after school and a summer program. So we'll definitely uh, make it available. I know we've been um, asked to write curriculum and we're doing that also. We're doing a summer program curriculum for the Edmonton Permaculture Guild, which is exciting, right? Um, yeah. To be able to create it and get these concepts and ideas out and look really very excited for them to see how it comes comes through um so yeah definitely i think probably i would guess and within the next 12 months we'll probably do uh start putting curriculum up on the website like lesson plans up on the website and um 
for those people who are doing what we're doing more of an enrichment thing. Awesome. Yeah, I've got I've got only uh, only that uh, K through I've got elementary and middle school four week differentiated program so that you can do it with two groups K through eight, um, and then you can even split it up or do it with one of each group you know depending on what you want to do. So it's flexible. Um, now to circle back because this is all right. This gets this gets to the crux of it because. What happens typically with a school garden, and many of us have seen that abandoned school garden, that poor school garden, um, and it's because no one wants to touch it. No one wants to touch that flaming dumpster because what that is is that's a whole lot of work and then heartache if you set up an annual system and, a, and, and the kids go away. So what's incredible about your program is you're integrated with the schools in a summer program which might be this as a serious future because then kids could it get advanced quicker. I mean, we mm-hmm. do this in college. Why not? No, you, you know, there's the it's, it is the future, right? It is happening now. Um, but all right, so we have these gardens, these annual gardens that die every year. These teachers like I don't have a curriculum. I have a pacing guide that won't accommodate this. I don't have any way to integrate. You know, they've got a whole list of excuses. They're panicked on time. I, I feel for them, I totally understand. Um, and that's why I'm creating my curriculum. But beyond curriculum is the basic concepts at play. So we gotta let go of this annual garden and carrots and, and, and we gotta let go of that and we need to embrace something much more scientific something um, that's going to actually create way more um, edge when we bring it to these higher levels uh, academically, I think. So what we're doing in San Diego is the World Beat Cultural Center in in Balboa Park, incredible place. Their gardens are beautiful. It's basically almost all perennials. What they have done there is they've partnered with the Cornell Ornithology Lab. (laughs) <laughs> and they have birds, bird sanctuaries, they have pollinated habitat, they have milkweeds, monarchs, they've got, you know, hummingbirds, so many different types of birds. And they've mm-hmm. got a summer gardening program, birding and art and performance for kids. And it's this beautiful thing. But what we're going to do, because, you know, perennials, we all know perennials, they just give you so much love with all these seeds and seedlings and cuttings and all this stuff that it's just a recipe for exporting it out to the schools through these summer programs to these kids into their schools. Mm-hmm. And the reality is if we can get edible, if we can get edible food forests like sanctuary gardens into schools where it's connected to a birding program, mm-hmm. connected to pollinators, connected to native plant societies, we will be able to, A, have natural observation sites on campus, and then B, we'll have to prevent them from spraying Roundup and any biocide that would disrupt the delicate pollinator habitat. Mm-hmm. And so suddenly it's not, a, we're, we're protecting our children, protecting the, the, the environment from toxins. We've got some real science, indisputable science. We've got conservation happening. It's all these stacked functions. And then we're in New England. The apples are ready in fall. Um, I 
don't really care about the summer garden because this year we're we've got apples on our tree and to supplement the apples on the tree we go out to the, the, the this local orchard because it connects to our science program all now it actually connects and so we can go back to the orchards that we went to because I mean when we had the budget for when I was a kid we always went to the, like visit like things like the local orchard and we got cider and it was interesting fun class trip they just don't do that anymore um, but if we can make these things we can either bring the orchard to the kids and bring in extra apples and bring in a press, or mm. we could go out there and we could reason with the budget. We can't reason with the budget if we do not have it linked to a standard at this current point in our budget, especially in most schools. So I, I there's this huge opportunity, and so we're trying to, we're, we're, we're toying with the like wording on it, um, whether it's forest sanctuaries, um, or food forest um, sanctuaries. I don't know what we're going to call it. But we want to get this concept rolling forward so that we can stack all those different interest groups in a way that saves the school gardening plot. Mm -hmm. In a way that the, the teacher's like, oh, it's a tree. It's on a drip and on a timer. I check it every once in a while, but I don't really work in there. And, and then we do a chop and drop with the kids and, and it changes the whole dynamic. They're not overwhelmed. They're not like, Okay, well, I've got to get out there, and, and the, the annual's on this, like, this, like, timer. It's like, ding, 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 you got the harvest. Ding, 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 you got a plant. Ding, 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 you got a water. And the teachers, they, they're so overworked as is that we can't do that to them. So this would be, like, a liberating thing. This would be, like, an, an augmentation, an alignment. It, I, I just think that there's, there's a lot of things that we could do with that concept. So maybe you can take that concept and run with it in New York City. Yeah, so I'm really glad that you brought all that up. Um, I, I think that what that, that there's definite uh, similarities in our approach. I, when someone asked me recently what we do, how, like, how is our gardening different? And I said, we do ecosystems gardening. Yeah. So ecosystems gardening, and they're like, well, what does that mean? I'm like, well, it means that we look at it as one giant system. We're bringing in pollinators. We're using native and local plants. We're bringing in beneficial insects by building a bug hotel. We're um, having food and habitat and water for butterflies, hummingbirds, bees. Um, and once you bring all of that in, it's no longer just a garden with annuals in it. It's a garden that is inviting a lot more life to be happening there, right? And children love animals, and they let they love to observe. And when you're creating annual gardens like that, it's still better than just like the abandoned one. What we're doing is we're bringing in a lot more things. And teachers, I think a lot will be looking for opportunities to make things more alive for students if it's possible, and if it's close by. So um, I think that what you're saying, I definitely agree with, and I think that's awesome. Um, being that we don't really have a lot of growing space, I uh, I don't know if I can really put in perennial food forests in New York City, um, but I can definitely I can I can do some of those things, right? And we are doing some of those things. Um, I think I love your idea about uh, creating stacking functions and creating alliances with all these different organizations to the point where like the Roundup won't get sprayed. I don't, I'm not sure if they're allowed to spray Roundup in New York anymore, Woo. but um, 
Um, so you, you, I, I, go ahead. Advanced pot culture will soon be here and embracing such uh, practices as root pruning, you know, from bonsai, you know, uh, pruning. Oh, yeah. We're going to see, I mean, we're going to see people with apple trees that are like three feet tall. We're going to, we're going to see a lot of really interesting things start happening once people open that door. Um, you're going to, I mean, we're going to be growing a vine in a classroom and then we're going to be cloning it and propagating it into you know, a dozen vines and then growing them out and then everyone's going to be putting them on their balcony or planting them in that, in that, uh, that small green space uh, in the front of their building and allowing it to grow up so it covers and shades the full building. And maybe, you know, it's, you, you do a grapevine there, maybe you do, you know, it, there's, the sky's the limit. There's a- No, I hear that, that's very exciting. I had a- We have an apple on my uh, rooftop garden in Queens. Yeah, and you know, there's yeah. some crazy things that the Italians, you know, you go into these neighborhoods and all the cultures do their own thing, amazing behind, you know, this fence over this thing, you know, under this tarp, you'll, I mean, my, my landlord's back, he was 86, bless his heart, he was 86, he retiled the ceiling in his 80s. Ah, unbelievable, you, you can't make men like this any longer, I'm sorry. Um, mm -hmm. <laughs> he was doing squash, he had grapes, he had, you know, mm -hmm. zucchini, he had, he had so much produce coming out of that little postage stamp of a backyard. Uh, so it, it amazing things can be done even in New York. Um, it's just about... No, definitely. Definitely. I think that um, it can be done. One of the projects that I'm working on with a friend is we're looking for a place in um, near Coney Island to grow food for um, a food pantry. And it's been, we've been working, we looked at the 596 Acres website looking to see what open lots there are. So we're definitely looking at ways to be able to produce a lot of food after a small space and i think you can do it of course but um what model I, are you gonna uh introduce because the thing with new york is it's pretty close i mean it's pretty close to chicago it's not as cold or you know and you know it's the continental effect and all but um chicago's and milwaukee's will will allen growing power model um it's pretty proven, um, and it, it basically allows people to quickly see a system that they can easily replicate. Um, and there's so much demand that it, there's no not much competition uh, in these large cities with that model. Do you know what I'm talking about? No, I definitely know who Will Allen is, but um, I'm just I, I'm not exactly. Maybe I'm not being clear about what it is that we're we're talking about a church's lawn. We're talking about um just an outdoor space yeah um, yeah what he did what is he just set up he set up greenhouses and then he started doing aquaponics um in it and all of that requires an open area and it requires uh i think more than what we what we have at our disposal at this right, point. Right, right, right. Okay, yeah, so you're just going to let the that's seeds do it. That's, that's, that's how I over, always, I've always worked, too. No machines, yeah, just we, seeds. Yeah, I was like, no, we, we're talking about soil and seeds. Yeah, and awesome. People power. People power. Uh, 
but um, one of the um, things that I'm really excited about is with all the work that we're all doing is that people are seem very receptive and and it's kind of and it doesn't have to be everyone we just need some key people to be able to to do to pursue this mission of mainstreaming permaculture education period and then with us specifically talking about doing it with children it's um it's finding identifying the friendlies finding that entry point right and um and and knowing where and how to be able to to present it and the inroads, et cetera, et cetera. I think that you found yours and your performance past definitely came in handy as you brought in your guitar and um and did all of that. That was brilliant. And um and I think that um being able to find like our way to get in, like how do you get your foot in the door? How do you how do you find out who is going to be willing to um, to work with you, right? Well, what that's th- there's there's layers to that. So for first. me, um, first off, in order to do that, you have to have confidence, and that comes from having confidence. So the confidence competency circle right um so the number one complaint i've been hearing lately is that the people online and i'm seeing like a lot of flagging like uh, and not in the term like like something's wrong like like people are losing steam online um and i think it is there's 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 not that many people posting it feels like online um about regenerative stuff lately uh because People are being saying like we need people who are actually doing it and walking the walk. There's too many people who are traveling the world, talking the talk, and they haven't walked the walk in years. So it's, it's so there's this huge legitimacy thing right now, um, and I think that people need to rise up and do it, and they will get that confidence. That because I mean I have people ask me all the time. They're like, I want to do this. I want to be the mushroom guy. I want to be the mushroom guy. It's like all right. What have you done? They're like, well, I've, I've read this book. I'm like, great, what have you done? And they're like, I created this website. I'm like, okay, what have you done? And they're like, I researched this. And it's like, all right, I want to see some mushrooms growing. You know what I mean? I want to see years yeah. underneath your belt. Um, yeah, definitely. And, and, so, and so that's what I would say is we need people to be doing it so they feel like they know who to go out and like the thing is when you are doing it and you it's who you are and you're living your meaning i have never solicited to a school and i am in in dozens of schools and and it's because of what i'm doing because i'm creating something that's inviting creating something that's understandable and valuable and because i have competency in it i have confidence and because like when I speak, you can hear that, that, that truth to it. There's that confidence, you know what I mean? And people recognize that, and they're drawn to that. And so we just need to keep you know, inviting people to join us, to give them the roadmap to get their experience, because everyone's gonna be different. I mean, like you said, you're you know, a self-taught teacher. I, I literally went to public school 
spend one-on-one -on -one boarding school with 40 other kids in a co-ed dormitory from 7th to 9th grade. The dorm parents would go to sleep at 9. There were shenanigans everywhere. People on the roof doing, you know, all crazy sorts of things. And then I went to a, a very prestigious boarding school with like 300 kids and 70 in my graduating class. And then I went to NYU with 30,000 kids. And then mm -hmm. I substitute taught in one of the, in Fresno, you know, in some of the poorest schools in Fresno. And then I went to this charter school where some of my classes, you know, had over 40 kids in them. Um, so it, it, it just, I've, I've seen this great diversity of things happen and that is the reason I think I was drawn to serve in education because my experience made me feel like I could go in there and help those kids. And that's also the other thing, the alignment, right? I'm doing it because I wanted to really help people. Um, and, and when you were talk, when we, we are talking from a place that is, is altruistic, is ethical, is aligned with people's needs, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Um, there's the resonant power and it leads and changes who we are and our mission because we're always on a, a pedestal uh, or um, uh, not a pedestal a um, uh, what is it called an escalator of, or a progression um, yeah a progressing elevator or something like that basically it's constantly changing and evolving and we have to too uh, if we set that mission because the problems are constantly evolving and changing and their needs yeah, no, I, I mean, I think that you're right. And I mean, you're listing a, a great, like a background of where, of to, when I hear all of that, it, it gives me more of an idea of where you're coming from and your approach and the different kinds of educational circles that you've been a part of and experienced and um, lived in, in some cases, right? Um, and, and that's really cool, it definitely, gives us our flavor and gives us our perspective. When I think about how I started teaching in my, when I was 25, I lived at a, I lived in the highlands of Guatemala and I worked with a, I worked at a school in a community project and I was an administrator at the school and um, I was a student, um, I was a connection between the school and um, the students who came to study Spanish and then the people who, who lived in, who lived in town in the school who didn't speak English. So it was an amazing experience for me and I got to try on a lot of hats in that program and that's where I was introduced to community education and um, I was able to give different kinds of workshops and do tutoring. I did some public health stuff, it was really fun and I really liked it. And then I found out that there was this whole world called community education. I was like, I didn't even know it existed. And then I went on and later I worked for an organization in North Carolina where I grew up for a little bit and um, was uh, their bilingual community educator. We did, um, it was, I was giving a curriculum on conflict resolution, anger management, building relationships, and uh, the, the services of the nonprofit that I was working for. My next teaching stint was um, taking teaching ESL when I was living in Alaska to seafood processors out in the Bering Sea. And, um, I was willing to do it. It was incredibly challenging. We're uh, working with adults with very different levels of uh, education in their native language. 
And then the next thing that I did was I went and got a certificate in TEFL, teaching English as a foreign language. And I was working in Mexico and Guatemala um, just with a one-on-one and small groups of people. And that was great. It gave me a little bit more experience, a little bit more confidence at the structure of that certificate program, which was hugely helpful. Um, I, I say that I'm self-taught, but really what I just say is I don't have a degree in education because I have done certificate programs to try to build up my skills and knowledge. I did it in TEFL. I did it, this is a long time ago, 15 years ago in, in yoga before I tore my knee and stopped teaching. And so I um, done a lot of things like that before I came to permaculture. What I didn't have a lot of was experience working with children aside from just simple tutoring. And the way that I was able to break in that way was because um, I was willing to be the rooftop gardener for uh, the Y, the Washington Heights Y, up in northern Manhattan. And um, they're actually the people that we're going to be working with now for the preschool program. But I started, helped to start that garden eight years ago. And um, I left, I worked there for three years and and, um, finished up five years ago. Now I'm kind of circling back, which is really fun. And and when I was working there, that was my first, that was post-PDC, that was post- my teacher training with Dave Jackie was post a lot of things. And and what it was was how do you teach little, little people who don't even know how to read or write? And that was a really fantastic challenge for me because I'd learned how to write lists on boards and do all these different kinds of like classroom exercises. But what if it's just you, the children, they don't know how to read or write, so having a board doesn't really help much. And um, the rooftop garden and that's when you know you make up things like plant families instead of plant guilds and how you like your friend and you know your friend likes you and then you have another friend and there's three of you well let's talk about plant groupings of three you know three sisters this that whatever and so it's just kind of slowly i started to evolve that and um and then you know each everything every experience builds on upon builds confidence for the next experience right and then from there i went to teaching elementary and then uh, to teaching doing one week intensives teaching permaculture from nine to three at a charter school where i do a whole week long intensive and and then then we got the grant for our six week program right that um is all about ecosystems gardening and then it's bringing in all these other elements because as permaculturists i believe into the marrow of my bones that everything's connected. It's not weird for me to have them doing murals. It's all part of what we're doing. It's all we're 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 making the food. It's we're we're making we're cooking with the food that we're growing. Oh yeah. We're you know, we're building what we need for our ecosystem garden, for our ecosystem design. We're doing all these things because it's all part of the part of the same thing. And you know, it's interesting, um just seeing how New York City children and I think urban children can sometimes be uh, pretty, it can be a little challenging to get them to be like, oh, wow, right? They're a little jaded. They live in New York. They've seen it all. They've done it all in their minds. And, um, <laughs> and it's really how a simple thing like finding worms in the compost and you got a group of 15 year olds losing their minds because they found worms in the compost. Ah. And it's, 
it's so beautiful to see that, right? Like, to see these kids squealing or like, ah, you know, freaking out. But it's seeing that wonder. It's being able to get to that place of curiosity and wonder and awe that can be lost. Yeah, like, you know, it's so, so you find it in the garden, don't you? You find it when they're that old. You don't find it anywhere else. You don't find it in the classroom, talking to them. Uh, you know, it's that garden experience where you've never seen anything like this. And then it's a garden experience that's designed in the way that we're talking about, mm-hmm. where it's about more than just vegetables growing. Yeah, because where that's boring. in. <laughs> right, the pollinator attractors, where you're having them build the bug hotel, right, where you're having them test, like, oh, why is that plant turning yellow? Well, we better figure it out. Who's got the book? What's wrong with my plant? Let's, who's Googling? Like, what are we doing here, right? So it, it's, it is, I do believe that gardens are very special learning environments. And, and, um, and what I'm seeing is that um, <laughs> what I'm seeing is that the kids of all ages are responding to that. And um, I love that. I love that we're going beyond organic. Yeah. Right? I love that we're going beyond organic to something more and bigger. And I would say better as far as in our sense of understanding and um, an exposure and awareness. Right? I think so. I think that this concept of beyond is is really stellar because, I mean, it ties into what you're talking about, where we all came from and how we got in, how we got our confidence, how we're finding, how we're finding our places that we get our our, our fingers in, our, our foot in the door, uh, mm-hmm. is because we got out there. I, you know, I went to I went to high school in three different states. <laughs> I got around. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I was in New York City. You know, you live in New York City long enough, you meet so many people, experience so many things. Uh, and then I left after, you know, eight, eight years. And then, you know, I, I, I traveled even more. Um, and it's getting, it's getting involved, too. It's not just getting out there. So we've traveled, we've, we've gone and had these experiences, but then we've also sought more understanding. Um, so you've taken all these courses. I've taken. I, I'm continuously taking courses right now. I'm, I'm in the middle of a, a leadership uh, course, actually. Um, so it's it's incredibly important as teachers to be perennial learners, and most people don't Absolutely. realize that. <laughs> Absolutely. I have a coach. I have two coaches. One is um, my friend Patty Parks Wasserman, um, who. Um, who is one of my coaches and she's been phenomenal, right? She's been, you know her, she's been teaching permaculture to children for 20 years. She started the first permaculture for children organization in New Mexico 20 plus years ago. So yeah, so it's really good to continue to be a perennial learner and just not think you know everything and just stay open that and keep learning. Cause it can, one of the things I love about teaching for me is there's always something more that I can try. There's another way that I can do it. How will it go? How will it feel, right? To, to deliver, deliver the information in another way and, um, and seeing if that will um, spark something in the child. 
I, I just, I love teaching, man. It is like the most amazing thing. It is a brain twister, mind bender, and when it works, so exhilarating, and um, it's really, really fun. I, I'm very, very happy with what I'm doing, and um, it's constantly challenging me to, to be a better person, to be, um, to, to learn more and figure out, design new ways of, of you know, relaying this information that I find to be so valuable. And what I'm seeing from my students is. Uh, they're they're finding they they're agreeing right they're they're saying that they don't they're like I didn't know that I that as a kid I have the power to affect things and and I think children need to know that again going back to what I said earlier if children are to inherit the earth are they ready are we getting them ready I feel a responsibility to, to do my part in that yep me too right like they we messed it up. The, be the, be the best thing we can do, the kindest thing that we can do is help them get ready to inherit what they're going to inherit. I'm not trying to get super negative about things, but, I mean, it is the reality. It is our climate reality. That is the reality, yes. Right? Um, and I'm trying my best to make it so that we can get that conversation into all schools. Um, and I think that permaculture is a great way to do it because you just in, in bring in the science you just set the stage and then mm -hmm. it becomes obvious <laughs> uh, yeah yeah so um because i mean it's like that uh like that new uh, new concept i'm trying to put out there they're just talking points really and they're really simple but we just need to build soils we just need to grow forests and revegetate we just need to clean up the ocean the waterways and then mm -hmm. support and regenerate our biodiversity. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I hear you. I hear you. And it, when it's, again, that goes back to some of what I found so exciting about um, my permaculture design course, just seeing like what it would take to fix it. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. it, it is that simple. What did Mollison say? The world's problems seem so complex. And the solutions are so embarrassingly simple, or something like that. Yeah, that's know. basically it. Yeah. Yeah, and and it is low tech solutions. Um, and you know what? It is the most highest sophistication, though. Low tech solution, highest level of sophistication. Uh, we still have not been able to replicate photosynthesis, so we'll we'll continue to to just work with nature and study nature regardless of whether uh, we can create these skins over the top of technology, the air we breathe, the water we drink, you know, all these things are powered by systems that um, will never match. That's why they're so powerful and that's why they can take us out of this situation which is also so exciting. Mm -hmm. I will be presenting at IPC India. Oh, I was going to ask you about that. That's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you. I really want to invite you and other people who are listening who work with children in schools to, I was just thinking how wonderful it would be. I don't, there's usually very few people who are teaching children at convergences. At this point, I've been lucky enough to go to two, Jordan and then Cuba. And now this one is in India. And um, I would love to kind of showcase some of the things that we're all working on and that's so exciting. 
right? Yeah. I'm wondering if I can put together kind of um, a quilt of what's happening um, with people teaching permaculture in schools. And I know there's exciting work happening in Nevada um, and lots of places in the nation. And um, tests, like uh, demo sites work, like showing what has worked is really key when someone is thinking like, how am I gonna do this? Like, don't recreate the wheel. I, I'm I'm all for like um, harvesting best practices. Don't recreate the wheel. Do you know? Do um, look and see what other people have done and see what works. Uh, one of the things that really inspired me, that also inspired me on my path, was when I went to IPC in Jordan. Um, I sat in on a lot of the. I sat in on a lot of the. Uh, talks given by um, about community and education and it just happened at that convergence that most of the people who are doing those talks were um, permacultures from different African countries and I, I noticed the pattern in what was working for them and what hadn't worked and what and it was demo sites create a demo site kind of like what you're saying you created a body of work and the schools have come by the dozens, right? Right. I created right. a so demo. That was your quote, quote, demo site, what you created, that body of work. And um, and what I saw, when, what I heard when I was, when they were presenting was two things. One, create a demo site. And the most powerful one was my friends in Malawi, who, when they couldn't get the farmers to listen, they went to the children and they went to the schools. And then the children listened to the point that the children started designing food forests around their schools, implementing them, harvesting them, and taking the food home to their parents. Yep. That's that's what I and want. The parents are like, what is this? And they're like, oh, well, my teacher taught me how to do this. So it became such a big thing in Malawi um, that the president wanted permaculture to be taught in all the schools from K through 12. Whoa. What language do they speak there? <sighs> I can't remember. They don't speak Swahili, right? I don't know, actually. Well, I, I my, my book is being translated into Swahili right now. Oh, that's wonderful. Congratulations. That makes me very happy to hear. Good. I can't wait Go. to get it so that I can basically set it up so that it's all just open access. I mean, the reality is we just need to make these things so that they're in all these different languages and split languages so that you can have both. Like we have an Arabic English, so you can learn Arabic and English at the same time, so that it becomes part of English class. Yeah, that would be really cool. But um, but yeah, so IPC India, I'm really looking forward to it. And well, you and I can have another conversation another time where we kind of see. I would love to take um, to take messages and to and to do like little spotlights on some of the things that we're all doing that's working and sharing that message and getting it out there to a wider audience, which it will be over once we're there. And, um, and um, I'm excited too, because one of my friends from Malawi, Esten Magala, who helped start the Kusamala Institute, Kusamala Permaculture Institute, who's part of all these amazing things that they've been doing in that country, is um, has been selected to be a speaker 
and I'm helping him fundraise, crowdfund, to get him from Malawi to India. So that's also going to be on my website, too. So if anyone wants to support uh, a man, a community person who is just doing fantastic work, um, they can do that on my website. It'll be on the front page. That's beautiful. That mm-hmm. is awesome. He's great. He's so cool. What a great guy. I adore him. All right. So let's share with everyone your website. Sure. It's www beyondorganicdesign.com All right. Well, okay, all right. Well, I am looking forward to checking out your curriculum and to seeing your progress as you roll through the New York public school system, taking it by storm, <laughs> setting people afire, empowering those children with real solutions that'll help them in their community. I am... Ah. You know what? It, it it makes me feel like someone else. Like I'm like I'm like all right. And there's Texas and and there's Utah and there's Florida and California and like those are kind of where my people are watching me and buying my things. And I'm like oh, and then there's New York over there. Monica's got that. You know what I mean? It's like awesome. It's like a relief. It's like I don't need to worry about the East Coast. Monica and Ben Balk are rocking it over there. You're amazing. I, I, I think there's uh, plenty of need, and your books definitely fill a need. And there's a lot of people over here. Yeah. So there's there's definitely a need for all of what we're offering, you and me both. But that's sweet. That's cute. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Matt, you're awesome. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. And um, thank you for being so prolific. Ah. <laughs> you are everywhere, all over the place, and producing so much and um, creating a lot. And I'm excited for all the work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. You are so welcome. <laughs> all right. Well, I will look forward to speaking with you soon. And, you know, I had the privilege of Edward Geba from South Africa doing interviews at the last international convergence if you want maybe and i don't know if you have other outlets if you have your own outlet that's totally fine um Mm -hmm. but if you wanted to uh do interviews uh we could circle back and i could interview on the you on the experience and then you could introduce your interviews and i would host them oh you know i think we should definitely talk about that Okay, great, because everyone wants to know what goes on at these events. Everyone hears about it after, and they're like, I wanted to go. But this way, we could vicariously live through your life, and you could just let us in on how awesome it was. I would love, 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 love to talk about that, because that sounds like fun. Okay, all right, we'll do that then. All right, thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. teacher talk, huh? It was a lot of fun for me, a lot of fun for us, and I hope that you enjoyed it as well. If you enjoy regenerative education, if you enjoy learning about permaculture, you're going to love the Permaculture Student for Adults. 
It's a self-paced course. It's over 12 hours. It combines the best of the best of all my courses. And it's it's just never been easier to get to, to get a higher level education in permaculture. It comes with reading recommendations in my new book, The Permaculture Student. It includes all my books, Permaculture Student 1, the workbook, and the Permaculture Student 2. You get everything. So check that out on my website, thepermaculturestudent.com. Click on courses and see what I've got. i got four courses right now. I'm planning three others right now, and I've got five books in print. I'm planning over a dozen to be released in the next six to nine months. Lots of things happening because they need to. We are at a critical, fragile, dangerous spot where we could flip ourselves and hit that methane bubble release. We could trip another tipping point and we could find ourselves in a situation where we can't do anything but just work on surviving. So let's not get to that point. Let's preempt, let's prepare, and let's get ready. Because climate change is here. Climate change is moving faster than we predicted. And we have real, powerful, natural methods for reversing climate change, which in a lot of ways is just carbon that it should be in the soils, plants, animals, all the biodiversity, in the trees, everything. And it's all spread out. That's a lot of it. Even the oil is actually just decomposed organic matter. It's, you know, it's special decomposition and all, but that's all it is. We need to move beyond these patterns and embrace new patterns. And that's what I hope you get from my, my podcast, my books, my courses, my classes that are, you know, in person and online. If you join the newsletter, you get access to special videos, so please join the newsletter. You get access to things that aren't released yet. Right now, we're having something super special. I have a digital version of the five steps to an abundant future available, and it's donate, uh, donation-based. So you go to just support, and you can you can get this ebook that clearly shows what the five steps we are needing to take to reverse climate change and to guarantee an abundant future for our grandchildren. So go check that out and, and support what we're doing over here. We, we appreciate you and we appreciate your support and we appreciate your efforts no matter where you are on the spectrum of regeneration. Have a wonderful week. Keep growing, keep planting, keep, keep saving, keep spreading the regeneration. From Matt Powers, have an abundant future.